This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back. I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Welcome to the House of Champions. YouTube friends, dropping your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we review the action from today's World Cup as the quarterfinals came to a close. In the House of Champions today, I've got Michael LaHood, Nigel Rio Coker, and later joining us will be our expert over in Paris, Jonathan Johnson. Now, before we get into the show, some very, very sad news broke last night about the passing of CBS Sports contributor and my very good friend, soccer's very good friend, Grant Wall. It's with a very heavy heart that I say the following. We're deeply saddened by the sudden and tragic passing of Grant. He was an exceptional journalist and a tremendous friend, colleague, and ambassador for the beautiful game of soccer. Grant's impact and imprint on the soccer community within the U.S. and globally will endure for years to come. All of us at CBS Sports offer our heartfelt condolences to Grant's wife, Dr. Celine Grounder, his family, and his friends. He collapsed suddenly on Friday in the press box at the stadium where Argentina and the Netherlands were playing. He may have suffered a heart attack or a pulmonary event, according to those close to the situation, but the exact cause of death is not yet known. Grant was 48 years Mm. old. (sighs) Sometimes it's very difficult life and... This is not easy for me. It's not easy for Nigel and Michael. And I know Jonathan knows Grant very well indeed. Um, Mike, I'm going to come to you first because I know you know yeah. Grant pretty well. Um, yeah. This was very difficult to process. It still is very difficult to process. And as we watch these games today, I found it very difficult to even focus and enjoy the games because yeah. of the news that broke last night. But Grant, being a very good friend of all of us in the soccer community, did so much for U.S. soccer did so much for journalism, did so much for people who didn't even know him. He was always someone who offered help and always wanted to change the world in a positive manner. Um, and I know you came across him a couple of times. Yeah, I, I'm I'm at a loss for words. I'm still in shock. I remember when I got the news and really news started seeping out, getting texts from countless colleagues in the industry of Grant's passing. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was in disbelief. Um, just a lot of people, especially Grant and his family being based in the New York area, just this is more than than one man's life or one person's life. This is 
Grant's legacy, I think of now. One of the things that strikes me about Grant is how selfless he was, an accomplished journalist here in the United States, tenured at Sports Illustrated in the years past. I remember Grant when he first broke on the scene. He was the person that brought LeBron James to our very eyes. I remember reading his article saying, hey, look at this kid from Akron, Ohio, to shift his passion from LeBron James to the game of soccer here in the United States, being a pioneer for the game. And in one of the last conversations I had with Grant, not knowing it would be one of the last conversations, it was his passion to see the World Cup come back here to the United States in 2026 and really have that be his legacy that he wanted to leave. And I'm just devastated. I think this is a devastation for not just the sports media community, but soccer as a whole in the world. Nigel, I know you're not sure if you ever came across Grant in person, but I can guarantee you he knew who you were and he was an admirer of what you do for the beautiful game yourself, not only as a player, but for what you do in the media now. Grant really made a lot of waves happen in soccer, not just in the United States, but all across the world. Yeah, he did. Um, I think for me, and from what I know of him and what I've seen of him, I probably maybe did come across him at my time, probably in the MLS and stuff like that. But I think for me, he's the foundation of, of, of soccer in America. He's one of the great foundations, respected uh, media personalities. And his love and passion for the game and helping this game to be grown in America and to be understood at a high level, he is one of the foundations. And it, it is hard. It is a tough day when um, someone who has the same kind of goals and ambitions as yourselves, wanting the sport to grow in this country, wanting to educate people and just a love for the sport and because of what it can do to not just you as an individual, but what it can do for nations and people all around the world. And they can really relate to this one sport. It is a big loss. And I think it's a big loss for US soccer. That's, that's, a, that's the big thing. And again, it kind of grounds you again, where you realize that every day is a blessing. And I think that's something that throughout my career, when I got a little bit halfway through my career, that I kind of started to get that into life, into perspective that every day is a blessing. And I always looked at football as a blessing. And I think Grant looked at football as a blessing without ever being a professional, but what he does. And um, it is a big loss. And our thoughts and prayers are with his family and his loved ones. I think they're the ones that need yeah. all our prayers and thoughts right now. Yeah, well said, Nigel. And I think you... Um... You speak very highly of Grant, considering, obviously, you know, such a tremendous human being. I guarantee you, at some point in your life, you came across him because he touched pretty much everyone who was involved yeah. in the U.S. soccer market. He was an incredible journalist. He was a lover of the beautiful game. He was a unique individual, a different individual that always tried to change life for the better. And I was fortunate enough in life to come across Grant so many times and, and, and early after I retired from soccer and also when I was playing in Major League Soccer and before that. And it goes all the way back to 2006 when he spent time in Hamburg, in my city, and spent time at St. Pauli around the World Cup. He, he obviously spoke very highly of Hamburg and um, it always... Uh, was amazing to me that someone could care so much about soccer in the United States back then, as we all grew up watching us soccer grow and develop them um, from afar. Sometimes he was the one who was pushing it, always pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and trying to change the idea, the philosophy, the ideas and the mentality and what people thought about us soccer. So really, really incredible to see, um, the, the messages of support for his, his wife, Celine, and also the messages of support from all of the soccer world and the soccer mm -hmm. community. If you look at the messages out there and just type in his name, so many people came into contact with Grant. So many people were, were, were touched in a positive manner 
by Grant. He affected their lives. He changed soccer for the better. And his legacy will forever live on in US soccer, no doubt about it. My personal story with him, um, obviously, uh, it's not always easy to talk about, but I did go on his show last year and we had a one-on-one discussion. And we talked about mental health, which is something Mm. that's incredibly close to, to me personally, having suffered from depression and suicidal thoughts and things like that, never knew a platform where I could share my stories. And Grant Grant invited me on his show, his podcast, and uh, we talked openly for half of the show about mental health. He uses a therapist. I use a therapist. We talked about you know people who are living in life and dealing with soccer and dealing with life in general and depression. And it, it was clearly evident that we, we both had uh, similar interests about the subject. And I'll forever be grateful for him for allowing me to have a platform, sharing my name, sharing my voice, sharing my thoughts about mental health and whatever we can do to change the beautiful game for the better. It was uh, an amazing friend that we just recently lost. Um, He was also a massive lover of my city, New York City. And, And most people know Grant Wall from traveling around the world and being this incredible journalist from around the world. But I'll remember him for his fondness of New York City because New York City is very close to my heart. It always has been since I was a young boy. He lived in New York City. He lived and breathed New York City. He loved soccer from New York City. And New York City will forever, forever have a part of Grant Wall there. And I'll make sure that his legacy lives on in New York City sports as well. Um, Mike, you've got a personal story yourself to share. Yeah, and thank you for sharing your story and interaction with them. I I think you can tell a lot about the quality of human being, about the legacy they leave and the people they keep and the the lives they've touched. And just seeing the outcry of praise, the outcry of gratitude towards Grant, towards his life, towards the impact that he made throughout the soccer community and throughout the world – First time I ever came across Grant Wall, I was playing for the Sierra Leone national team, and it was during the Ebola crisis, and it felt like no one cared until Grant Wall came into all our lives, and he took an interest in not just me as a professional footballer, but in the fact that I was from Africa, in the fact that African soccer even existed, and just there was a curiosity about him to to really speak on social justices through the beautiful game. You see the legacy he's left behind with what he did to stand for what he believed in in Qatar, to stand for human rights. I just cannot applaud his values, values that I share, values that my wife and I share very much in our household. And he played a big part in my transition from retiring from professional football into having an interest into what we're doing here, into broadcasting, into podcasting, and, and being part of a company entity like CBS Sports. And so I will forever be grateful because he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to pick up my phone call, but he gave me a belief that I could go and do this and that I had a story to share that people need to hear and that I had a voice and that we needed more people of color to share their voices. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that in a professional soccer environment, that people of color do have a different voice and it's needed to be heard. And so I'm forever grateful for the likes of a Grant Wall. Yeah, well said, well spoken. And that's exactly who Grant was. He was always uh, for minorities, always trying to create equality, always fighting for the difference all the way up until he recently passed, um, wearing the rainbow shirt in Qatar uh, for his brother. I mean, and, and for also the LGBTQ plus community. And that's why he was wearing it. That's what he represented. You know, I went back and I won't stay too long uh, talking about Grant. I'd like to get on with the show and I'm sure he would like us to do that too. 
But I went back and looked through my messages because you guys were the first ones that brought it to my attention that there was something wrong yesterday. And I was driving in my car and I, 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 you just don't want to believe it when you see it. And then when I stopped my car and parked to my garage and I had maybe 10 messages confirming it. And that was when it really hit me that you've, you've not only lost someone who's so powerful in a beautiful game and US soccer in particular, um, but you've also lost a friend who cares, who gives a shit, someone who just loves human beings and loves, loves humans to be successful. He's always trying to push and help people similar to your story right there, Mike. He wanted you to be successful because he liked you. He wanted you to be successful and give you an opportunity and share his contacts or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I, w I went through my messages because when I heard how he passed um, and potentially, you know, it could have been in the stadium, it could have been in apparently an Uber, it could have been at the hospital. Um, but when I heard that, I just thought that's not, that's not what I wanted. I want, I want Grant to know and, and to recognize that he was loved from afar from so many people in the soccer community. And I think he knows that. And for me personally, I went through to look at my messages, my interactions across every platform because he didn't just text you. He, he Twitter texted you. He Instagram texted you. He sent every message across every different platform because he followed everybody on all of his social media platforms and also personally on text message. And, and one message I did say to him, which, which made me really thankful that I sent this. I said to him, he was the best journalist that this country has ever had and might be the best journalist in the world. And he heard that from me. And it meant a lot to me that I said that to him, that he knew that because a lot of people feel the same. And it's not just because of his artistic work, how he was such a terrific journalist. It's also because of the human being he was as well. Now, Grant would want us all to continue to live our lives. Grant would want us all to continue to create great content. Grant would want us all to continue to be ourselves and produce content as best as we possibly can. And it is less than 24 hours since he passed, but we are going to get on with the show and I'm going to bring as much intro as I possibly can. And I'm going to try to do it as best as I possibly can without breaking down. Um, but before we move on from Grant, let's uh, bring in uh, my good friend, our good friend and colleague, uh, Jonathan Johnson, who also has uh, a few stories to share about Grant Mall before we get into our show. JJ, how are you doing? Hey there, guys. Yeah, um, I, would, I would normally say great to be on with you, but obviously, you know, given the circumstances, really unexpected news to, to wake up to. I mean, you think of the possible things that you might miss sort of overnight being based in Europe and everything going on in the States, but it, you know, that kind of thing is certainly not one of those kind of things that, that factors into your, into your mind. I mean, I, I woke up during the night, which you know, it's not, not that unusual, but then when I had a look at my phone and saw that I had like 200 plus messages, I knew something, you know, pretty, pretty big had happened and gone down. And I, I was just stunned when I, you know, opened up WhatsApp, uh, Twitter and, uh, and saw everything, uh, you know, confirming the, the reports about grants. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's, dreadful you kind of think you know you go back to sleep or you try to sleep for a few more hours and wake up and you know that it might just be a bad dream and then you wake up and you know that confirmation is still there and it's you know it, it's stunning uh, I'm not gonna pretend that I was the you know the closest person to Grant we met uh, on a couple of occasions uh, you know sort of had overlap on uh, on shows together I was lucky enough to, to get to spend some time with him some proper time uh, in Paris when he was here for the for the women's uh, women's world cup uh, a few years back he was just a lovely, lovely guy, really, really thorough. I mean, I, I wrote on Twitter earlier, you know, his book, The Beckham Experiment, for me as an aspiring journalist was really, you know, something I, I really looked to. I had, I mean, I had a short-lived dalliance with with Major League Soccer, not 
because of Grant, but sort of around that time, I was I was kind of pursuing it, and uh, you know that was Grant's first book, I believe, or certainly his first book on on soccer. You yep. know, and I, I found it really, really inspirational. And uh, you know, he was always somebody who would take the time to you know give you an opinion, an honest opinion, you know, give you some really great insight, uh, and always be you know very supportive. You never be critical. Uh, and, you know, if he did have some sort of constructive criticism to, to give, you know, he would do it sort of, you know, publicly, uh, you know, sort of under his own steam, you know. And I, I think I, I totally agree with with what you were saying. I, I cannot think of any other uh, sort of American soccer journalist, with all due respect to a lot of very good ones out there who sort of come close to being as kind of iconic, uh, as recognizable as, as, as Grant has been. You know, he is, for, for people in Europe, when you talk about, football in america soccer you know one of the first people that springs to mind is is grant well uh you know and i think that is really a testament to everything that he's achieved throughout his career throughout his life uh you know and i it's you know i think it's going to be difficult for the community to sort of process this properly i mean the thought of 2026 happening and him not being there is just is such a bizarre one to try and even process it's yeah i mean you know I think we're all just still letting the the news sink in and it's going to take a while before it really is truly digested, unfortunately. I remember one of my first, and well said, JJ, I remember one of my first ever interviews I did on air with Grant. I was at Fox Sports and I came on like this energetic, crazy man that you still see, that you all see now on House of Champions. And I just remember him smiling and thinking, this guy's freaking wild, man. This guy is nuts. And then meeting him in person, giving him a hug for that first time. It was always, I think, my energy and um, passion for life that he enjoyed the most. And I could see he had a passion and an admiration for the game like few others ever had in U.S. soccer before. And he would want us all to continue to bring the best possible product we can in his honor. And we're going to continue to do that today. So let's do it. We love you, Grant. Onwards we go. All right. The World Cup quarterfinals in Qatar 2022 took place today. The semifinal is absolutely set right now. Argentina taking on Croatia on the 13th of December is one big match to look forward to. And if you're looking forward to watching a banger, it's going to be Morocco. Yes, Morocco against France in the semifinals of the World Cup. It has been an unbelievable day. I know it's been emotional for many people out there, but we're going to fire through this as best as we possibly can. And we're going to begin with France against England because we welcome in JJ, who is out there in Paris, Nigel Rio Coker and Michael LaHood to break down the game for you. Chomeni getting the opening goal. What a fantastic goal it was from outside the box. Here's a statistic that maybe you all don't know. His strike was goal number 156 at the World Cup, but it was only number 12 from outside of the penalty area. And what a fantastic strike it was. Harry Kane leveled things up. Olivier Giroud made it 2-1. And then Harry Kane missed a penalty kick and the result ended with France going victoriously through to the next stage. Nigel Rio Coker, I'm going to come to you first real quickly because I know you've been sitting there quietly. England go out of this competition, but my oh my, Nigel, they had a big I, I, chance. Wait, Ian, I just want to know why Michael is laughing because when you look at the predictions, I did say <laughs> that England would win. Just... Like, and there's a comment from a guy called Jay who's got ha ha ha, Nigel, ha ha ha. Listen, Jay, I predicted the French would beat the English. I think for me, it was a great opportunity for England and it was a big opportunity missed. 
I think obviously, you know, Harry Kane missed the penalty and we know England and history of penalties isn't a great thing, isn't two words that really go well together. The French weren't that great. I think for me, when I learn, when I watch this game, there's a few things I just want to make as points. I'm not going to go deep into it. I questioned some of my colleagues, the, the fact of Phil Foden playing. Phil Foden is one of England's most talented football players. But if you're going to give him that kind of badge of honour, he has to be dictating and taking control of the game like Antonio Griezmann did for the French. He dictated and controlled the game and he's not even considered to be seen as the French's best player. So if Foden is on that same level, he needs to be on the ball constantly dictating the flow of the game. It doesn't happen. For me, I think you'd have been better off starting Rashford, being more aggressive and being more direct. What I found with this French team is, as much as they try to deny it, they are very killing Mbappe dominant. And Carl Walker had a fantastic match today where he marked Mbappe out of the game. Only once did Mbappe beat him to the byline and nothing came with it. But Carl Walker marked Mbappe out of the game. The French looked like they were running out of ideas. And again, it's the quality of Giesman with a cross that comes in and the threat of Oliver Giroud, Michael's lover boy, comes off <laughs> Harry Maguire, goes into the back of the net. England have another big chance where I thought this could go into extra time. But obviously the pressure was too much on Harry Kane and it was a big opportunity miss because I don't think there was a big gap in distance in quality in what we saw. And England really had a good chance to win this game. And maybe you can question the players that started and maybe the times of the substitutions by Gareth Southgate. But it was a big opportunity missed by England and the French got it done. Oh, absolutely, it was. You know, I think that was a, a huge opportunity for England. I think it would be harsh on, on Harry Kane if he's sort of held up and you know as the as the scapegoat for for this England failure. I think Nigel's speaking a lot of sense. Not often that you'll catch me saying that, but he is. Uh, you know, I do I do feel that it, it was a bit bizarre because Southgate and Deschamps were kind of mirroring each other at times where you're like you know you're wanting to like scream you know where are the substitutions to you know to to to, to liven this uh this game up and then obviously you know it exploded into life finally towards the end of the second half honestly Antoine Griezmann with that kind of performance dropping that kind of performance that is almost kind of a tournament defining display you know to provide those not just those two assists but the the tenacity that he showed to get himself involved, and I know I know that he was lucky, fortunate at times, perhaps not to provoke, you know, maybe that second yellow card. But you could really see, sort of, it, it was very Simeone esque. I think I tweeted towards yeah. the end of the first half, you know, some of the the behaviour that he he was exhibiting, uh, and I think for Griezmann to take on that kind of role is 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 really impressive. Also, Hugo Lloris, I know that ultimately it perhaps didn't count for that much. Another massive, massive save, uh, you know, to, to keep England at bay. I know they scored a couple of minutes later, but you never know how the match works out if that does go in. Uh, and if really, I just feel like every time in the last couple of major international tournaments, we're speaking about England in the same way, the nearly men. And for me, I felt after the Euros that another World Cup of, you know, almost getting, you know, getting close to the final, but not quite getting there. Uh, you know, would be one too many. I think it is one too many. I, I think, I genuinely think that under a different manager, this England team potentially win titles. Uh, you know, I don't want to lump it all on Southgate. I think there are, you know, individual moments in the game that, that, that changed a lot. You know, I think, unfortunately, England didn't take advantage of the fact they were bossing midfield at one point, which didn't look like it was going to happen after the the way that the French started the game. I thought Javier and Schumann were superb during the first half. And then, you know, England got on top in the second but for me, I think ultimately Southgate has shown once again his shortcomings in charge of this England team. And like like Nigel said, if you're going to squander talent 
like Phil Foden, uh, you know, I don't see how, you know, you can really be expecting, you know, the nation to keep getting behind you, uh, you know, and, and backing you to win these tournaments when you're going to make these strange personnel decisions. I think the difference between England winning this match and what we're talking about now is down to Uris. I mean, look at how many saves he made north of six world-class saves. Having a good goalkeeper in the opposition, that's going to happen. I think England, they were growing into the game, and they were bossing the game. The stats show it. The XG show it. This is a French team that doesn't need many chances. They are lethal when they get half a chance. I look at the first goal. I mean, the whip that Trumani gets on it, it's hard to stop that if you're Pickford. It goes through traffic. And the second goal, the only criticism I get, Griezmann with a world-class ball in, but Harry Maguire, how many times have we seen him on the wrong side of attackers he was on the wrong side of Giroud you do that against the Frenchman he will punish you he's the all-time leading goal scorer for a reason and I did say that he was going to score in this game on Sportsline so I want to give a shout out lovely Pat (laughs) on the front and the back for myself but when I look at this England team how they were so effective the movement between Harry Kane Bakayo Saka I thought he was excellent that right hand side that connectivity between he and Kyle Walker I said it in the preview that he would have to be smart in when to attack against Teo Hernandez and when to get back when you're playing against the likes of an Mbappe you have to back press you can't leave Kyle Walker 1v1 I thought the shift he put in was first class offensively he drew the penalty kick because he had a defender who was not a good 1v1 defender Hernandez, you can count him or you can catch him, excuse me, here on Paramount Plus in the Serie A and the Champions League as Milan made it through the knockout stages. But what he offers going forward, he doesn't offer the same defensive work. And when they took out Bakayo Saka, obviously Hernandez at fault for the penalty kick. I, th- I just thought they lost a bit of luster. I'd, I would have liked to see Marcus Rashford maybe go down the right hand side and use his pace to get at the flustered Teo Hernandez. Yeah, I think you make some some great points there, Michael. I think for me, like JJ says there, it's just, I wouldn't put all the blame on Gareth Southgate, but he doesn't help himself with some of these decisions for me. Because I think you have to read the game. The modern game has changed now where you can't just wait till halftime or wait till something happens and react. You have to be proactive in what you're seeing on the football pitch. And I feel those changes maybe should have been made a lot earlier. You look at Rashford, how direct he can be. With him coming on, and Harry Kane up front, you can be direct with long balls into Kane and Rashford going into behind. The French defence did not look comfortable. France did not look like a well-oiled team. They grinded out this result and they were fortunate and lucky, like you said. Hugo Lloris pulled out some fantastic saves. I've got a question for you, Ian, because we know Ian is the man of the world. He holds many passports, well-travelled. <laughs> Including a Scottish one. <laughs> yeah, I know, Scottish and English. Do you think, and this can I can relate this to Jonathan as well, because I'm coming from a perspective where I understand it and Michael does as well. Do you think that the French deserve a lot of credit for being inclusive to a lot of the players and the talent that they have more so welcoming than other nations that are in very similar positions with the, than the, as the French are? Explain Compared that question. England. Explain that question. Oh, inclusive. What do you mean? JJ knows I, what I'm I know, talking I know, about. I know what he's saying. <laughs> JJ knows what I'm Come talking on, about. Nigel. Go on, JJ. I mean, I think... I, I think... I think what France are and uh, the variety that you possess within a squad, and I'm not just talking about the different types of players and the different types of talents, it's a testament to uh, you know how much of a melting pot France is as a country. Now, what I would temper that with is if you came and visited France tomorrow and spent an extended period of time, you'd see that it has changed a lot 
over the last decade or so. It's perhaps a bit less welcoming now uh, than you know it has been in the past. I'd say that there's a danger that that stops being the case at some point in the future. I really, really hope that it doesn't. But you know there is a big threat, as there is uh, in many different countries around the world uh, at this moment in time. You know, extreme opinions, extreme behaviour. You know, is a threat to uh, you know to to, to you know, to everybody, uh, you know, globally, France is no exception to that. And despite the fact that they have been champions uh, of inclusion in the past, there is that risk at some point in the future that that changes. I hope, you know, that it doesn't, uh, you know, and I hope that, you know, common sense, uh, you know, just, you know, decent behavior, uh, you know, wins out over it. But, uh, you know, as obviously I know that you're a champion um, of, of core, domestic causes in England as well, Nigel, and I definitely think sort of what you're getting at in terms of the inclusion in the English game, uh, you know, is definitely well-founded. Uh, you know, I think that it is, uh, you know, a legitimate, not necessarily, not just an observation criticism as well, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, football at the highest level uh, in England is not, uh, you know, in- inclusive enough. Uh, and there are people who are perhaps, uh, you know, well qualified enough to hold certain positions, notably managerially, which we know is a huge, huge struggle at this moment in time. Great answer. Great question, Nigel. Thank you very much. You can always take the hosting chair anytime you'd like to do so because you're pretty <laughs> goddamn good at it. <laughs> you are certainly yeah. included in our show. That is for sure. One of the main reasons why I'm here as well. Great question. And JJ, listen, I want to touch upon the France performance at the end of the day yeah. because they have come under a lot of scrutiny. Many people questioned their chemistry, obviously the injuries. And at one point in that game, I thought France are not playing well here. And I'm looking at the bench and we're obviously having our secret little um, conversations on our private chat show. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if Nkunku or Benzema or whatever else is uh, injured was on that bench, France would no doubt wipe the floor with this England team, as far as I'm concerned. But they gave England a big opportunity. I thought England were the better team today. England threw that opportunity away, and France just simply didn't play well enough, in my opinion. But they still managed to get the job done. So that says a lot about Deschamps, and it says a lot about this group of players. Yeah, it does. And I think as well, when I mean, I, I know I keep bringing it back to Griezmann, but when, when you look at the way that he's prepared to sacrifice certain elements of his game to muck in, uh, you know, and be part of that team effort, I think that's really worth applauding because that is the kind of sacrifice that is needed for, for France to get that to, to come as far as they did in 2018. France in my opinion, are not as good now as they were in 2018. I know that individually there's a, there's some new talents you know, emerging who will ultimately be one day probably surpass the 2018 generation. But in terms of the chemistry, in terms of the balance, notably defensively, it, it's not quite the same. You know, we see again, France concede another, uh, you know, goal uh, in, a, in the game. They've, they've conceded in every match so far. They were lucky to not concede two, but sometimes, uh, you know, you make your own luck. Uh, and I think that, in this instance, individual brilliance bailed them out. I mean, if I was Deschamps, I probably would have thrown someone like Coman on for, for Dembele a bit earlier. Uh, you know, maybe even thought about bringing someone like Fofana in in the midfield because, unfortunately, Chiumeni was having a, a great game up until he got that booking, that booking which, unfortunately, I think rules him out of the semi-final against Morocco. He'll be a big miss in that midfield. Suddenly, that that duo of Rabiot and Chiumeni lost, uh, you know, control in the midfield. And that's not to say it's all France's fault that England got back in the game. England did play very well. Uh, you know, they set themselves up reasonably well. Uh, you know, like Nigel and I were saying earlier, I do think there were certain alterations Southgate could have made or, or you know, different ways he could have approached it from the start. But overall, uh, you know, England did a good job of nullifying Mbappe and actually 
going about their own game as well. But, uh, you know, I think credit to Deschamps, credit to the players. I do think that that loss of certain players before the tournament started, injuries and stuff, you know, that's not necessarily the woe is me thing, but, you know, the, the, the lack, the misfortune about it has actually brought the French players together. And that makes France dangerous for teams yep. uh, in this World Cup. Great point. Uh- I look at the players who have stepped up. When you have key players in the middle of the park, the likes of N'Golo Kante, Paul Pogba, Benzema, players who you're looking to carry this team forward, players like Hugo Lloris, who have stepped up significantly at this World Cup. Griezmann, these are players who came under a bit of fire four years ago in Russia, and they're stepping up. They are becoming the heart and soul of this World Cup for France. It's not just Mbappe. Yes, Mbappe is the killer instinct. He is the killer in the final third and in the box. But I think what made them so successful last World Cup, it was a different players who knew their roles, who knew it was time to step up. Blaise Matuidi, some of his performances, unsung hero, selflessness. The one question mark I do have about this French team, their back line left at sixes and sevens as this match were on. Upa Makano, he is a liability. I said it before, going into the World Cup. He's a big liability. He's shown it. There's something, something wrong. Something wrong at Bayern, Mike. Something and, and, wrong at Bayern. You know, you said it. You said it. What you should have said is there's something wrong with Uba Makano because Harry Kane took There's something to wrong leader. with all the French defenders at Bayern. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you're not going to put your confidence in Pavard. Probably not uh, Luca no. Hernandez either. I mean, Teo Hernandez, I don't know what he was thinking when he gave away that penalty. He panicked. Well, My he opinion. panicked. He panicked because he was on the wrong side of him. I've seen him do it in Serie A with Milan. He's so aggressive going forward. And because you react late, and Ian, you play as an outside back. When you react late, you it's like trying to rush to put a house on fire out. And I think it was a rush of blood to the head because he was caught out of position. It's Mason Mount. It's not Marcus Rashford. It's not Harry Kane. It's Mason Mount going in. If he trusts his goalkeeper, who's on form, if there's better communication between he and Uris, that doesn't happen. But Harry Kane bails the entire French team out with a woeful penalty kick and condolences to him in England in the end. Listen, all I'm going to add is to what Ian said, credit to Didier Deschamps because what we're seeing from France, getting the job done, stems from the manager. We thought there won't be such a unity as we're seeing from this French team. There's a tremendous unity, tremendous togetherness, and regardless of what they've gone through, they've gone through it together. All I want to let people know who are listening to is being in dressing rooms before, when you have a manager that does that, what you can achieve as a team is it's, it's like you can achieve whatever you want when a manager is that controlled of the dressing room and has that togetherness. That's what I see. Well, thank you very much, Nigel, for that additional comment right there. And I know you've been desperate to get Del Boy involved in the conversation, so we're going to get Del Boy into this conversation <laughs> right now. I'm not going to blame Southgate, and this uh, is at least passive. I have seen England in a big game. Uh, very interesting comment coming in from Del Boy right there. I know you've been enjoying the show, Del Boy, because you've mentioned so many great comments. We'll get to some of them a little bit later on in the show. But thanks to everybody for jumping in the conversations. Before we do get to a quick break here, uh, Producer Tez is going to give up our um, prediction here from John Legos. Yeah, there you go, JJ. Explain yourself. Ooh. Spot on, my friend, but not an extra time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could call myself spot on ah. because of the extra time bit, but it did did feel like a game where both teams would score. I never at any point thought France would be able to keep a clean sheet. Uh, just felt like France would edge it in terms of the, the attacking quality. Didn't come about uh, in terms of the, you know, the obvious threats. You know, Mbappe didn't get himself on the score sheet this time, but... When you have that kind of service from Griezmann, you know, for Giroud and for, for Chouameni, you know, you always, uh, you know, have a chance of, uh, of scoring at the end of the day. 
This has been the longest first half half of the show we have ever done. <laughs> and uh, we're going to take a quick break. More to come from us when we do come back here. We're going to get fired into the other quarterfinal game as uh, Morocco made uh, history. Go ahead. Absent. Yeah, you know, he's, he's not been on the show too often, you know, because he's um, he's waiting until he creeps up that ladder and puts me back to the bottom again. I know Nigel's keeping quiet because he's still got hopes of catching Fabrizio Romano. All right, everybody, we're going to uh, talk about Morocco um, creating history for African football when we return. You're watching House of Champions. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Don't stop watching the world's best soccer stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live on Paramount+. Plus. It's soccer's ultimate annual competition, not for country, but for clubs. Sign up today for 50% off an entire year using the code all year at paramountplus.com slash sports. Welcome back. You're watching House of Champions. Enjoy Nigel Rio Coker, Michael LaHood, and Jonathan Johnson with you today. We just went through the England-France game. We also paid tribute to a fallen friend, and that is our great Grant Val. We miss him dearly. We're going to power through the show as best as we possibly can in his honor. So let's get stuck into Portugal against Morocco. What a day for African football this was what a day in world cup history this has been i never predicted this i don't think many people did maybe nigeria coker did whoa 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 yeah. whoa, whoa but michael yeah, i'm coming yeah. to you first because for me personally <laughs> this was something incredibly special from morocco they got the job done and in many ways they made it look pretty easy Oh, man, I, I was nervy moments to the fi uh, final whistle i thought outstanding goalkeeping banu who knew banu did I mean, just from the onset, the fourth minute, diving header from João Felix, he stuns him. And it was a João Felix and the Portuguese attack versus Banu and this back line, the stingy back line for Morocco. They keep doing it defense first. But man, oh, man, Wanahi, this guy, he was my man of the match. His ability to cover ground, not just flank the midfield alongside Amrabat, another outstanding performance for him. Fiorentina man, I expect him to get a big move after this World Cup because he is a leader. He is the heart and soul of this Morocco team who is also playing with some starters out. Scheiss, Roman Scheiss out now with potential hamstring injury that was plaguing him in the previous game against France. But this is a group that is together. It's a band of brothers, a band of warriors on the field. They're willing to do whatever it takes for 90 plus minutes, even penalty kicks to get the result. They need just one goal and El Nesri. Oh, man. That guy, can we check his vert? I mean, that uh, he looked like Ronaldo of old, jumping up. Bad goalkeeping from the goalkeeper, though, from Portugal, but he punishes him with an outstanding header. Mike, this just before you jump in, Nigel, I just got to say, you're just saying they look like an army here. It's an army and their mothers. I don't know if you've noticed mm. that, but every yeah. single celebratory <laughs> picture that I've seen since is absolutely remarkable. This is not just these human beings. This is their families and their mm. friends all getting in the mix here. Nigel, go ahead. Sorry. 
Well, Ian, I've been fortunate. Like I said, one of my good friends, like a brother to me, he's Moroccan and I go around their family. So I understand the Moroccan culture. So that army there you see is an army and there is great togetherness and unity. Watching this Morocco team for me takes me back to my childhood of watching the World Cup. They have a basic foundation. The foundation of football never changes. And I say that in the sense of positioning defensively, what's expected of you attacking wise. But this Morocco side play with such freedom. It's such a breath of fresh air. And what makes them so difficult to play against is they're not so structured and robotic in their playing sense as every nation seems to have become now. There's such a freedom and unpredictability about them, which makes them so difficult to play against. They deserve all the plaudits. Michael's already spoken about some talented players that they have. I'm not going to go in there again. I think for me, when you look at Portugal, there's always going to be that discussion. Oh, if Ronaldo had started, um, Portugal would have won. I say completely not. I think Portugal are a better side without Ronaldo starting. Not because there's anything wrong with Ronaldo, but he's not the Ronaldo of old. The one chance that Ronaldo did have, the old Ronaldo, a couple of years back, would have put that into the back of the net late on in the game. I think for me, one of the big players that Portugal should have started, who made a difference when he come on, who I think if they give him the ball and give him that freedom, Rafael Leal, a guy obviously people could see by watching CBS Sports and Champions League here and listening to our pod, he is the talent and one of the future players of this Portuguese side. He is the difference maker to be able to break back lines down and make something happen for them. So I think for me, what Morocco did is fantastic and it's bigger than just Morocco. It really should be an inspiration for the continent of Africa because there's tremendous amount of talented nations there. And if they put their house in order and do things the right way and the proper way, this could be so competitive in every World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, this Moroccan side, it's a it's a fantastic blend of different prof, uh, types of profile of player, but also something that's really interesting uh, about them as well is they've, they're kind of the product now of three different managers in recent years. They had Eve Renard, they had Vahid Halilodzic, uh, and now they've got Rigragui as well. So, you know, that's three different guys who come at it with a bit of a different approach. And, you know, between the three of them, they've managed to create this environment now where Morocco are able to put a very, very talented 11 on the pitch, but they're also a very united one, uh, you know, as well. I think they needed, uh, you know, uh, somebody who could, you know, take away uh, from the, the sort of combative uh, atmosphere around the squad when Halilodzic was there. You know, it was perhaps a bit too explosive, but you have to give Halilodzic and Eve Renard credit for sort of laying the foundations, doing a lot of the work in getting these players to pick, you know, playing for Morocco over holding out hope for playing for a country like France or, or another different nation. And, uh, you know, I think that has, you know, created this very, very interesting mix of players. I and mean, it goes back to the conversation we had earlier about France. Morocco is kind of a little bit similar to that. You know, there's a huge amount of the Moroccan population celebrating tonight before the France game. They're celebrating even more outside at the moment now that they know they're coming up against <laughs> France. That is going to be a really, uh, you know, fantastic game. You have Buffal, as soon as he came off the pitch, the first thing he said was, uh, you know, really, really want to wish France good luck for tonight because that's who they wanted to come up against, to measure themselves uh, against. I think that speaks as well, uh, uh, you know, to what, uh, you know, Morocco have been doing these last couple of years. I think they've been looking at countries like France thinking, right, how how do we refine, uh, you know, this talent that we have? Because nobody, I don't think anyone's really doubted Morocco individually in terms of their talent in, in years gone by, but it was a question of getting that mentality, getting that chemistry right. And they finally... 
uh, you know, seem to have hit the, the you know, the, the right kind of balance. It's just a shame, as the guys were saying earlier, that you're now looking at potentially three key injuries. Sice, uh, you know, going off in this game. Uh, there was no Masrawi. Uh, Aguiad as yeah. well was out injured. Hopefully some of those players can can return in time for the game. And fun fact as well, Unahi, everyone's raving about him, was playing in France's semi-professional third tier back in the summer of 2020. I absolutely love that, JJ. That love that. <laughs> That was amazing. I just want to say quickly, just to add to what JJ said there, I think we have to understand what Morocco are doing is going to be so inspirational to future generations of young Moroccan players. And I think what it's going to do is, again, to the earlier conversations, Ian, when they see this, they're not going to have that worn head of, should I play for France or should I play for Morocco? They're going to be more comfortable now to play for Morocco if the Moroccan Football Federation keep doing what they're doing. But what they're doing now is going to be so inspirational to future generations that it's only going to get better and better because they produce naturally gifted football players and they can be a real force in world football for a long time to come. Yeah, that's the power of the beautiful game. When you have a situation like this, it's inspirational for many of the young boys and girls who are growing up and going to have to make a decision as to who they represent when they do become these professional superstars along the way. A couple of statistics to throw at you before we move on to Portugal. Uh, Yassine Bounou, who made his 50th appearance for Morocco tonight, is the first African goalkeeper to record three clean sheets in a single edition of the World Cup. Morocco are the first African nation in the tournament's 92-year history to reach a World Cup semi-final. And only three teams out of Europe and South America have qualified for the semi-final of the World Cup. That was the United States back in 1930. Had to throw that one in there. South Korea in 2002 and Morocco just doing it in 2002. A stat that not many people want to hear. Cristiano Ronaldo has failed to score in eight of his knockout stage appearances at the World Cup, including third place playoff game, going 570 minutes without scoring and taking 27 shots in the process. Let's get into it. Was it the right decision or the wrong decision, Michael LaHood, to leave Cristiano Ronaldo out on the bench. Nigel says yes, because they're a better team without him. But what's yeah. your thoughts? I think it was the right decision. I think you could see a glimpse of the quality that he still has. The run he makes at the very end, outstanding same for Banu. This difference in this game, as I said in the England-France game, sometimes having an outstanding goalkeeper, it's almost like Banu had an extra two arms flanking him with the saves he made. That early goal that Portugal was pouring a pressure in front of the Moroccan goal. When you score six goals in your previous match, you're going to have that swagger about you. You're going to look for that knockout blow early. This was always going to be a one goal game, whether it's two, one or one, nothing against a stingy Moroccan back line and Portugal. You could see it was a ticking time bomb. As soon as Banu grew in confidence, the rest of this Moroccan team did. I think that I still stand by Fernando Santos for making Ronaldo come off the bench because Ronaldo is not a team player and Portugal, they will be ruining the missed chances they had. Not because Ronaldo didn't start, because they didn't execute. That's Red Devil Michael Hood commenting about the great Cristiano Ronaldo, legend of Manchester United, no more, apparently. Rafa jumping in with a comment here that's going into our next subject. Why does the nationality of the referee matter? This is the World Cup. Mm. That was directed at our boy, the G, Del Boy, for his comments right now. I want to also introduce you a comment that Bruno Fernandes said after the game. I don't know if they are going to give the cup to Argentina. I'm going to say what I think and F them. It's very strange that a referee from the team that's still in the tournament is refereeing us. They have clearly tilted the field against us. JJ, your thoughts on Bruno Fernandes' comments. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it echoes as well, I think, what uh, Pepe said as well after the match. So clearly, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of Portuguese players feeling sorry for themselves. Uh, you know, I think as well, it, it kind of mirrors how, uh, how how people in France felt about Portugal's success in Euro 2016. So certainly over here, there's not too much sympathy for them. But at the end of the day, I don't think Portugal have anyone to blame but themselves. Uh, you know, I really... I really thought that Portugal had turned uh, the corner uh, in the last round of games, absolutely blowing Switzerland away. I didn't expect Switzerland to be that bad, but also equally, I didn't expect Portugal to be that good and that changed, uh, you know, without Cristiano Ronaldo in the team. I thought part part of it was down to Fernando Santos, uh, you know, and unfortunately, uh, you know, Santos kind of came into his own uh, in this game because, you know, I think some of his decisions were, you know, were, were lacking. Like, uh, like Nige said, you know, why are you not throwing on Leal, uh, you know, much earlier in the game, trying to be more direct, uh, you know, and trying to get at Bruno. You know, you know it's going to be difficult enough to, to breach that defence in 90 minutes, let alone, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it was at the end. So, you know, it feels like an opportunity missed for Portugal because Portugal were in that really strange situation where, you know, if they advanced past Morocco, they would have been outsiders to win this whole thing because of the individual quality they have. But the fact it was pretty much a new team without Cristiano Ronaldo in the mix and just coming on for a couple of minutes at the end of every game. So, you know, it feels now, uh, you know, like it, there's a lot of sour grapes. And I think as well, you know, with Portugal going out, you, you know, Ronaldo, we saw him in tears going down the tunnel. That's, you know, his last shot at the World Cup gone. Same goes for Pepe. And I think as well, Portugal have to move on from Santos now. I know he said he's going to be flying back to Lisbon, holding talks with the Portuguese Football Federation. They have to make that decision, move on from him. I mean, you've got someone like Bento, who's just worked wonders with South Korea. Bring him in, uh, you know, before China snap him up or before the USMNT decide to take a look. Uh, you know, because I think Portugal have the potential, certainly to challenge for Euro titles, World Cup titles with the talent that they have. But they must move on from some members of uh, that generation now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, JJ. I, I fully agree. I think the only thing I would say is that it is a bit of sour grapes, but I do think FIFA do have to really do think a lot about what referees they place for certain games because that will eliminate all these type of but things. But do you not feel like all the refereeing the last couple of days has been pretty, you know, terrible. Apart? Yeah, the, the referee yeah. in the last couple of days has been terrible. And I'm not going to say it because I'm British, but I think that the referee that we've got from England, who I remember refereeing me when I was a kid, he's the best referee in world football. He he reminds me of the Italian guy. I forget what's his name again, Ian. Oh, jeez, the board. Yeah, the one. Uh, Kalina, yeah, from, from Kalina, the yeah. He, he, final. He, yeah, it reminds yeah, me of that kind of presence when no one will mess with whatever nation. The only thing I don't like, I must say, which it does help their way, is when you look at that Argentina game. Off subject, Messi should have been booked a few times, and the way that Messi did that deliberate handball and the referee mm -hmm. didn't book him, it doesn't look good for football. It doesn't look good for FIFA because you have got to treat all the players the same. And those type of little incidents stop people talking like that. And the fact that Van Dyke's face, when he's told the referee and the referee just looked and smiled, Van Dyke's face says it all because that is a bookable offence. It doesn't matter if it's Lionel Messi. So it doesn't help. But like I said before, either Morocco or Croatia wins this World Cup. I want one of those two nations to win it. Someone that's never won it because it makes all this World Cup worth it. Nigel, you honestly think that you think Morocco gets past France now? Oof. I wouldn't write them off. I didn't write. I, listen, you guys wrote them off not to get past Portugal. What we saw from France today. He's I, not answering I, it. Is I, that I, the answer? I will put Morocco to beat France. I'll tell you this now. I will put Morocco to beat France. I've said it here. Okay. Morocco to beat France. Wow. And Croatia to beat Argentina. 
there is a quick look at the bracket right there. While we're looking at this bracket, I'm just going to let you guys know that FIFA have charged Argentina for disorder at the World Cup following their match with the Netherlands. A record 17 players and coaches were shown a yellow card in the game or even after the game included. Uh, it looks like both federations will get a fine for their actions, of course. Um, not sure if it will happen before the semi-final takes place for Argentina against Croatia. I'm sure it will happen afterwards. Uh, tomorrow, just a reminder for everybody out there, we're going to have a show as we preview the semi-finals. Um, we're also going to have um, CBS Sports and Paramount Plus rules analyst expert Christina Uncle on the show with us so make sure that you join us she's going to break down the referee and decisions and also talk about the craziness that was that performance from Matteo Lujas I can't even pronounce his name correctly mm. right there um, but just before we close it out on the uh, quarterfinals this has been one of the most unpredictable JJ World Cups that we have ever seen right now do you see it stopping here do you think we see the favorites reach a final or do you think we'll still see either Croatia or Morocco make the final I mean, honestly, I'm I'm tempted to join Nigel Rio Coca in uh, in in his boat and go for the underdog uh, story because I'm in a yacht. I mean, Croatia. I mean, I said I said this in our show yesterday. Think of what Croatia have achieved at international level since 1998. 1998 was the first time we got to look at them, uh, you know, as, as a country in their own right. And you know the the amount of quality that they have brought to the international stage since is just it's it's incredible, and the mentality that they have as well. I mean, okay, I know you you're pretty much signing yourself up to strap in for extra time and penalties with them at a World Cup, based on what we've seen in 2018 and this year. But you know, it, it's just such an emotional roller coaster. I've I've got to be honest, I did pick Argentina to win it at the beginning. And I still suspect that that may well come to pass, or at least they may well have a shot at it and get to the final. But if Argentina are as explosive as they were mentally against the against the Netherlands, if you send someone sending someone like Leandro Paredes into a match to, to calm to calm it the f down, that, that is just the stupidest idea ever. And on, honestly, you know, Argentina was so close to getting what they deserved for some very very dodgy decisions, and I feel now. Argentina have actually shown their major, major weakness. And if Croatia want to exploit that, which they're very capable of doing, given how strong they are mentally, uh, you know, uh, somebody raised this point the other day. I can't remember who it was. They said Croatia are kind of like the Uruguay of European football. And I'll tell you what, they are probably the worst team that Argentina can come up <laughs> against in the semifinal. Do not write off a potential repeat of the 2018 final. Ian, don't write it off. Let me give a quick mic. I'm going to be quick, Mike. Yeah, I'm telling you, this Croatia <laughs> team is formidable, <laughs> talented, experienced. They're going to watch that game. They have the players that can make it difficult for Argentina by going direct. They can mix it up and they have got talent all over the place. And I want Croatia to get in the final with Morocco. End of story. Uh, ever since I, you know, are you sure, Nigel? Nothing else? Ever since I said what I said about Croatia, my apology still stands. I can't root against them. I, I'm, I'm still sorry. So I can't bet against either team. At this point, I could see Morocco and Croatia. I'm going to drink the oh, Kool-Aid. You're drinking, Nigel. Um, yeah. I might you, wake you're gonna, up. And... You're going to wear your red and white checkered socks to bed tonight. <laughs> well, <laughs> like Ian, I too, I'm working on my Croatian passport. I do have my regionalized passport, my OM passport coming for Christmas. So my Croatian one is coming in the box as well. But I, I just... Whatever happens with these results, we know that we're in for one hell of a ride for the semifinals. This has been one hell of a World Cup, and we will not be disappointed.
Can I just say that I am a betting man? I'm not frightened to say that I'm a betting man now that I'm no longer playing. I can legally bet on these games. Um, I obviously bet, as you can all see with my predictions, on the favorite. And a lot of the time, I'm wrong. But what I do is I also put a little wager on the underdog because the mm. odds at this World Cup has been unreal. Today, Morocco were plus 550 just to win that game wow. in 90 minutes. I put a little wager on Unnecessary getting the opening goal, or not even any opening goal, just Ooh. scoring a goal in this game, plus 400. The underdogs is where it might be at in this World Cup because you never know what can happen. This is a crazy World Cup. We're playing a World Cup in the winter, for freak's sake. I mean, this is just absolutely madness. So expect the unexpected between now and the end of the competition, just, as you can see in the comments on, as well. Go, JJ. On, on, on that point, because it's really interesting that you raised that, I had a friend who's been out there in Qatar covering the World Cup since day one, and he said that the weather has actually taken a, ch taken a turn since the beginning of the tournament when it was absolutely roasting. It's now sort of by Qatari standards pretty pretty chilly. So like what, in European 70. temperatures, we're talking yeah, like right. around 17 degrees. And yeah. apparently a lot of people who were there in the stadiums day in, day out, uh, you know, starting to notice this, you know, starting to pick up, you know, little bugs, colds, all of that. Uh, you know, and it's it's something that people have started to to comment on and note, and perhaps that's starting to play into uh, you know the favour of uh, some of these European teams as well. Shorts and t-shirt weather for the Scottish, <laughs> shall I add? Right there, JJ. Uh, before we get out of here, I've got to break the news to you that Manuel Neuer did break his mm. leg after a skiing accident. Uh, this is absolutely wild, Michael. I mean, to see yeah. a player, I mean, obviously, Nigel, you know the contracts. Michael, you know the contracts. Yeah. Skiing, as far as I'm concerned, was completely off limits. He is in Bavaria playing for Bayern, where the mountains are obviously in the near. Um, but this is just uh, really unfortunate and, and really disappointing in many ways. Yeah, to have your captain of all people, not just any player. Manuel Neuer is the captain of the German national team and one of the faces, the heart and soul of this Bayern Munich team. But it makes you wonder when you see Oliver Kahn at the Croatia game, I wonder who he's scouting. Don't think it's any coincidence. Livakovic, keep an eye on that potential move because he's having the World Cup of his life. And yes, I'm on his hype train, Nigel. I know you called me out for that yesterday. I like this guy. Hold on, wait. By. Give credit to your wife because your wife put you on to him, right? Yeah, yeah. Your wife put you <laughs> yeah, okay. on to him. taking okay. credit yeah. for your wife's footballing knowledge. So sit back down. As for you, Ian, Man. I blame you for this because since you started this season, there's something not quite right at Bayern Munich. Everything, it's your fault. Stupid for him to be skiing because I'm sure it's in their contracts. They're not supposed to do skiing, jet skiing, quad biking, anything like that. So he's probably going to get a good airfall behind closed doors. Very stupid for him to be skiing. JJ, this well, is wild. You, Ian. This is wild, JJ, right? I know Nigel's blaming me, and I'll take full responsibility for everything that's gone wrong at Bayern Munich, except for the fact that they're winning games. JJ, this is wild, right? I mean, seeing somebody break their leg after a World Cup now out for the rest of the season, that just seems crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, given that Bayern are in a country where you know, the temptation to go skiing is is all around you with the the mountains. You know, you can very easily get yourself to, to Austria, places like that, and have a really good time of it. I mean, I hope for, for Neuer's sake, because I, I think he updated in his uh, on his social media that he injured uh, himself on a, on a ski tour. So I hope that doesn't mean he, like, he tripped over getting the beers in for the lads for the Apri <laughs> ski or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, honestly, it defies belief, this kind of thing. I can understand being gutted about Germany prematurely dropping out of the World Cup. You know, but you you know the risk that you're facing if you go on this kind of holiday. Uh, and 
you know, this is a huge opportunity because the thing is, Neuer as well has re-established himself as Bayern's number one over over the last couple of years. Many people expected Nubel to overtake him. He's at Monaco now. I don't think he's going to be recalled despite this injury. But suddenly, you know, this is a major opportunity for one of the goalkeepers excelling. You know, Mike's uh, raving about Livakovic. Uh, you've got Emi Martinez as well. I mean, I wouldn't want to see him leave Villa, but, you know, you never know if Bayern tabled an offer. Uh, you know, and you've got, uh, you know, a player like Bruno as well in the form that he's in. So, you know, suddenly things are not actually looking that great for Bayern. Because if you take into account Neuer's injury, Mane's injury, the fact he might well miss the two legs against PSG in the Champions League here on Paramount Plus, you know, it is perhaps, you know, you were right about Bayern after all. No, don't encourage it. <laughs> Thank you, JJ. I appreciate that. Jury's out. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here because I can hear my kids tearing up my house um, outside my studio door. So it's time to probably check out. Just want to thank everybody for listening to House call, of Champions. Please make sure. Yeah, I need it more than anything. <laughs> hey, everybody out there, make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Also available as video. So subscribe to us on YouTube. Back at it again tomorrow with a semi final preview. We'll have Christina Uncle with us then tomorrow morning early. Um, but I just want to dedicate this show to our very good friend and football's friend, Grant Wall, who we lost last night in Qatar. Rest in peace, Grant. Bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.